So if you have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can click to, turn to with me. If, if you're one of those that like to follow along or read along, uh, Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be. And so let me tell you the burden for this message and where this message comes out of, especially out of my heart. And that is this. We just finished up the Wilderness Series this, this last week. And in, in, in all the series that I've ever done here at Fellowship of the Rockies, this series became one of the most popular, the most downloaded, the most listened to, and some of those other things. And so there were a lot of people that were walking through a wilderness experience, walking through a desert experience, and, and that, that have listened to this. But, but as, I, as we walked through this series, I kept hearing this one thing. As people would stop me in the halls or maybe call me or out at restaurants or whatever, they would talk about this issue about, well, how do you maintain hope? How do you maintain hope in the wilderness? How do you maintain hope in, in the desert experiences of life? And some were even so transparent would tell me, you know what, we're struggling in the area of hope. I mean, we don't know if we can, we don't know if we can continue to hang on. And so we're like struggling in this area of just, just this issue of, of hope. And so this morning, I want to look at Luke chapter 24. It's two men that had the same issue. And they were struggling with this issue of hope. And fact is, they came to this fork in the road to where they had to make a decision. They had to make a decision. Are we going to continue to hang on and live life differently? Or are we just going to totally like walk, walk, walk away? And so if you're here this morning and you would say, you know what? I have, I, I'm struggling with this issue of hope. And fact is, I think I've lost hope. When I hear the news and the events and things that are going on in my life and some families' lives and things that we're facing as a family, I think I'm struggling in this issue of hope. The hope quotient in my life is not trending up, it's trending down. Well, I want you to know this sermon is for you. That Jesus helps these two men, he comes alongside of them, and he helps them to understand the principles of how to regain hope when you've lost hope. And you may be here this morning and say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm doing fine in the area of hope. Well, guess what? You may need this in the coming days whenever you walk through a time when you struggle in the area of hope. This issue of hope is important. It means everything to life. In fact, is Dante is the man that said life without hope is hell. That life without hope is difficult. Paul, in the, in the book of, of, of Romans, Romans chapter 8, verse 24, just gives the biblical definition of hope. And here's what he says. Now, in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he sees? And so when we, we, when we look at this, we know just theologically, right? We know with our heads, we know theologically that guess what? Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is behind the veil, firm and secure. It's like an anchor to the soul is what Paul says in, in the book of Hebrews. But something happens when you go through those storms of life if all of a sudden you've been cut away from like those anchors. You've been cut away from that and you start struggling in the issue of hope. So we pick up the story in Luke chapter 24 with these two guys. Jesus had been crucified. Uh, there were some ports that he had, he, had, he had, the tomb was empty. The tomb has been rolled away. There were these two disciples that were, were confused because they had different expectations for God. They had different expectations for how this day would go down and have it happen. And so these two guys became disillusioned. They were struggling in hope. Um, instead of walking and staying in Jerusalem where Jesus was, they began to walk away from Jesus. And so they walked away from Jerusalem. They walked on the, what is called the Emmaus Road. So they're walking towards Emmaus, which is about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. You can still walk that, 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 you can still walk that trail today. And when you look at this, you realize that these, these two men, they were discouraged, and they had no reason to be. They had lost hope, and they had no reason to have lost hope. 
And so it, it confused them because, see, they thought their expectations of Jesus, he was going to come back and he was going to redeem Israel. He was going to set up a government. He was going to take over. But this did not happen. And, on, and then to complicate some matters, they heard about these women that, that went to the tomb and the tomb was, was empty and that Jesus was, a, was alive. And so the, they, they, they were confused. And so when you, you look at this story, you realize and you get the impression that these men were discouraged and they were disappointed and... They didn't know what to do. And so they begin walking, and they, head, they start heading in the opposite direction of Jerusalem. And, so here, he, and then Jesus, Jesus joins them on the trail. And let me tell you why this is good news. Because even when you lose hope, Jesus pursues you. Even when you struggle, even when you have doubts, Jesus joins you in the struggle. Jesus joins you on the trail. Jesus doesn't judge you. Jesus doesn't ask you, where's your faith, or anything like that. Jesus joins you just like he did these two. They're walking away from Jesus. They're walking away from Jerusalem. And Jesus joins them on the trail. And they were discouraged and disillusioned. But on this trail, on this walk, Jesus gives them the principles of restoring hope, and he restored hope in their life. I think this has a lot of application for us. It has a lot of application for us when we struggle in this area of hope, when we are discouraged and disillusioned and some other things. So this morning, I want to give you three things in the time that I have with you. Three things about how to regain hope when you've lost hope. The first one is this. You have to remember God reveals himself to us personally. God, reveal, God will reveal himself to us personally. So we pick up the story, Luke chapter 24, verse 13. We're just going to read through this chapter together and, and make some comments as we go. Verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And they were discussing and arguing. So this is what happens when two people that are discouraged, depressed, have lost hope, and now try to encourage one another. That ever happen? That ever happened to you? Like in a home, in a relationship, in a marriage or whatever, that you're both discouraged, you both lost hope, and then all of a sudden it ends up in conflict. And, and so this is what's happening. So they're trying to encourage one another. They can't do it. Verse, verse 15. And while they were discussing and arguing, so now we know they're in an argument. Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. So these two guys, they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. This is called the Emmaus Road. Listen, you can still walk this road today. It's safe to walk today. I, that's one of my bucket list items when I go to Israel. I, you can walk this in about an hour. And you walk through the valley of shadow of death. I don't know if you realize that, but the Emmaus Road goes through the valley of shadow of death. Just last year I was there standing on the valley of shadow of death where David wrote the 23rd Psalm. And you can look down on the Emmaus Road. And so the Emmaus Road is a dangerous road to walk. I mean, they knew if I'm going to walk this road, I'm probably going to get robbed. Probably going to get robbed. The other thing is this. It's a difficult road to, like, navigate because you're either going up, you're either going down, and it, 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 you walk beside cliffs and some, some rocks that can shift or some rocks that can move. And so when you look at the Emmaus Road, you realize these two guys are walking this desolate, they're walking this desolate road to where they know that it, it, it's probable that they could get, get robbed. It's kind of crazy to me that like, like Jesus like joins them. And I don't know how that happened. I don't know if he like jumped out from behind a bush 
I don't know if it was a miracle and he just appeared. But, but you know, it's strange that they didn't recognize him. I mean, it's strange. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if, if Karen and I are walking the Arkansas River Trail and someone joins us and start listening to our conversations, I'm asking some questions. I'm probably going to start jogging, actually. <laughs> right? I'm asking some questions. And so here's the interesting thing. These guys, these guys, they don't recognize him. And listen, I'm, I, I'm telling you, God sees you even when you don't see him. God is with you even though you may not be aware he is with you. That you can become, listen, we can become so focused on the road of life, what we're trying to navigate through, what we're trying to get through. We can become so, navi- so focused on the road of life that we're not even aware, aware that he's joined us. We're not even aware that he's with us. We're not even aware of our sa- uh, surroundings. So Jesus is walking with them. They don't recognize him because they're so focused on the road. They're so They're so focused on their circumstances. They're so focused on their situations. They're so focused on the news. They're so focused on what's going on in their life. It prevents them. Listen, it prevents them from like like seeing him, right? I mean, they couldn't see. Because what Jesus would say later, like in, in parables, that the reason that we have anxiety, the reason that we worry, is because our focus is on the road, our focus is on the worries of, of, of what shall I eat and what shall I drink and what shall I wear. It's focused on our problems. It's focused on our situation. Listen, I can take a group of boxes, right, and I can stack them up in my hands that guess what? I, I couldn't even see you. Because what? My vision, I'm focused on these boxes. I mean, here a while back, a couple of weeks ago, I had to up my game to be able to, like, do Zoom meetings. Because I, I do a lot of Zoom meetings now, especially into Kiev and to the Ukraine with Pastor Igor, especially all they're going through and, and, and with some of his students and some other things. Just a long story. And so I ordered a bunch of stuff off of Amazon. So the boxes came. And so I went to the front door. I don't know if you've ever done this. I go to the front door. I get the boxes. And I had, they weren't heavy. Um, but, but they, they were high and I couldn't really see. I'm walking through the house. I trip over a stair, a step that has been our, in our house since the seventies. Why? Because I couldn't see because of the, even though I knew the surroundings, listen, I'm telling you, you can be so focused on the road of life. You can be so focused on what you're navigating through right now, the worry, the anxiety, the problems, the stress, the news, and all of that, that it prevents you from seeing him. But here's the crazy thing. Even though they couldn't see him, God could see them. Even though they didn't recognize that, that, he, that, that he was with them, he was, he was with them. And so the first thing that happens, I just need you to know, God reveals himself to you personally. But we can be prevented from seeing him because of our focus, because of our attention. The second thing is this. God reveals himself to us through circumstances. He not only reveals himself personally, but it's also through through circumstances and through situations. So so verse 24, Luke, Luke, I'm sorry, verse 17, Luke 24. Then he asked them. What is this dispute you're having with each other as you're walking? So they must be in this serious argument. And so, and they stopped walking and looked discouraged. I meant they're like shocked. Now listen, it's crazy. We don't know who the other guy is. I mean, it's just two guys, but now we know Cleopas was one of them. So, like the, the, so Luke like calls this guy out because he asked a question. And so watch this, verse, verse 18. Then the one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? 
don't we do that with God? You know, remember, they're talking to Jesus. Jesus knew better than them. Don't, one of the ways I know I'm losing hope, one of the ways I know I've lost hope, maybe the one of the ways that you, an indicator that you've lost hope, is when we say things similar to that, God, do you not know what's going on in my life? God, do you not know what I'm dealing with? God, do you not know how much I've prayed, I've read scripture, I've worshiped, I've served, I've, I've given money. God, I'm doing the best I can to lead my family in a godly way according to the scriptures. I pray, I worship. God, do you not know my prayer requests? God, do you not know what I was praying? See, when we know that we're struggling in the hope quotient of life is when we start having those questions with God. God, do you not see? Do you not see what I'm dealing with? Are you not aware? Now listen, I, wanna, I want you to see how Jesus responds to them because it's much different than the way that we respond to people that are around us that whenever they're struggling with hope. Look at this, verse 19, and we'll read this verse in its entirety in a few minutes, but I just want to see his question. One day I'm going to preach an entire series on the questions of Jesus. Jesus had amazing ability to ask questions. And so in verse 19, just a few, he just says, what things? You know what we do? Well, let me just make an I statement. You know what I have a tendency to do when someone's struggling with hope around me? I quickly preach a sermon. Three points. They all start with the letter P, so not, or the, the same letter, not just the letter P, but they all start with the same letter. End with a, you know, a poem and a prayer and a prayer response and eh, no need to thank me. Jesus was a great preacher. Jesus didn't preach a sermon. At those points in life when someone has lost hope, they don't need a sermon. Many times, and listen, I love scripture, so please, please understand my heart. Sometimes they don't need a bunch of scripture thrown at them. That's the easiest thing to do. Oh, let's look in the concordance and let's get scripture on hope and we'll give them that. That can be seen as judgment. You know what, you know what we need when we've lost hope? We need someone willing to sit with us in our suffering, in our struggle, and just look at it and say, hey, what things? What, what boxes are you carrying? What struggles do you have? And I'm going to enter into that space with you, and I'm going to walk with you. Listen, if you've ever suffered, listen, if you haven't suffered, you may not understand this. But if you've ever walked through a dark night of the soul, if you've ever suffered in your life to where your spiritual equilibrium was like shaken to the foundation, you know the people that have ministered to you are those that would come and sit alongside of you and say, hey, what things? What things are discouraging you? What, what things are keeping you from seeing him? I mean, this is it. And so, listen, I'm telling you, this radically, and we'll talk later about this, but this radically changed. When I went th through suffering for the first time, it radically changed my quiet times, my time with the Lord. And I, I start them out, and I sit in silence and solitude. And I just need to remind myself, God is here. God is here. God is here with me, and I just remind myself. And the first things I put in my journals, just the way I process, you may process differently. What things? What makes me happy? What makes me sad? What makes me angry? What makes me joyful? What makes me discouraged? About five things. 
And when I start listing those, it's one way that I have of giving my burdens to the Lord. Because if you're not aware of it, you can never give it to him. I just want you to know this morning, he cares for you. And he comes, listen, he comes alongside of you, even in your doubts, even in your struggles. So verse 19. So he says, what things, he asked them. So they said to him, I mean, you know this, right? If you've ever been in this situation and you've asked somebody what things, they just start talking, right? The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action, speech before God and all the people. How our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we were hoping, so now you all, all of a sudden you understand they had some unrealistic expectations of God. But now we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. Astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb because they, they had faith, right? And when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they'd seen a vision of angels who said, He is alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. And, but they didn't see him. So all of a sudden, a couple of things, you, you can hear their frustration, right? You can hear their frustration that there are these women and they're a part of our group and we trust them. And guess what? They had faith. We, we headed out for Emmaus. <laughs> we headed out of town. And they were willing to go to the tomb, and they went to the tomb. The stone had been rolled away. They had this vision from this angel that Jesus was alive, and then some others went. And it seemed like, it seemed like they frustrated them because these other people had some faith or an experience. Listen, can I just tell you this morning? If you're trying to live your life, your Christianity, off of what you have heard and not what you have seen for yourself or what you have experienced, then I'm going to tell you you're going to live a life of discouragement, disillusionment, and frustration. It has to be heard and seen. It has to be heard and experienced. For instance, when I was, when I was in seminary, uh, they, I took a, a theology class on suffering, and I nailed it. I mean, I even had to write a theological work and cite all my sources and that stuff. And I, I got an A. I nailed, in seminary, I nailed suffering. And then all of a sudden, years back, our family stepped into the valley of the shadow of death. And I entered into suffering. And I realized what I thought was suffering was just inconvenience. When they got my order wrong at Starbucks when I couldn't get a tea time, when I had a horrible score, you know, right? I'm thinking, you know what? Life cannot get any worse than this. And then all of a sudden, I stepped into the valley of the shadow of death. And I had a dark night, and so I'm telling you, I was just like these guys. I was no different. And it, ro it literally rocked my world. It literally rocked my world. And I can tell you, I've walked, in my family, we've walked through suffering. And we have come out on the other side. And the, the change is this. It is, not on, it is not only just in my head. It is in my heart. 
I have not just heard about suffering. See, all of my life in being around church, right, we've been around people that suffered. And it kind of encouraged us when we'd hear how they suffered and they, their faith remained strong and their prayer life remained strong. But then when I stepped into suffering for myself, listen, we cannot build our life off of somebody else's faith, off of somebody else's experience. And so for these guys, it was head only. But now they were going to have to they're going to have to flesh it out. The most Listen, any area of life, in, in, including the Christian life, the most powerful thing is to hear and experience something for yourself, right? This happened to me a few weeks ago. All of my life, I, I mean, not all of my life, but most of my adult life, I've been aware that restaurants have this thing called senior menu, right? <laughs> and I, I've even been out to dinner with people that would, like, order off of the senior menu, but they were always way older than me. <laughs> and then a couple of weeks ago, we had this seminary professor, and, I mean, we've been friends for years. He said, hey, let's do lunch. And so, you know what? It was chicken fried Monday, so it doesn't get any better than that. And so we met for lunch, and so he, he literally ordered off the senior menu. And so, I, I mean, I knew I could see it. Oh, it's cheaper. You get a discount. So I asked the waitress, do I, do I qualify? And she said, just barely, just like minutes. You just barely qualify. <laughs> so I said, well, I'll have it. I've heard about it, never experienced. I want the seniors ministry menu. And so I ordered it. And she brought me my meal, and I was in sh- I'm looking at it. And I said, excuse me, I ordered off the senior menu, not the kids' meal. This is not the kid's meal. You know what I learned about a senior menu and a senior portion? It's not only less in cost, it's less in portions. I was like so so shocked. Now I said, well, this proves it. I am not a senior. I am not a senior because now I'm going to need two of them. I need two of them. And so there is a difference. Listen, there is a difference, right? There is a difference when you hear about something and not experience it. And there's a huge difference when you hear about something you experience. There is something about an individual. There is something about a person that goes through suffering. And they come out on the other side and they say, you know what? After what I've walked through and Jesus was with me, I know for a fact that Jesus will never leave you. He will never forsake you. I know from a fact after what I've been through and God showed up in the midst of my storm, he showed up in the midst of my wilderness, my desert experience, I can face any challenge because I know this. God is faithful. God is faithful. And all of a sudden there becomes a difference. See, these men, they are trying to live off the faith of somebody else. And so if you only, listen, if it is only like head knowledge to you, if it is only head knowledge that God's word builds people up, you'll never read it for yourself. Or God speaks through his word, and you've never experienced that. And you, you will never apply it to your life. Or God blesses obedience, or God comforts the, 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 the brokenhearted, God gives faith, or Jesus is a living water. You will never live life with confidence and determination because you've never experienced it for yourself. So what happened to Job, right? Job was raised in church, Sunday school. He taught Sunday school. He was a leader in his church. And then he, like, loses everything. He loses his health, his kids, his business, his homes. 
And then in Luke, uh, Luke in Job chapter 42, 5, then I, this is a famous verse, and Job says, I have heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. And his life was, radic- his life was radically changed. Why? Because up until that point, he'd only heard about him. See, a lot of us, we don't understand how God, we don't understand that suffering sometimes is a part of God's plan. We think when we're suffering, something's wrong. And that was these guys. Here a while back, and these psychologists do what psychologists do. They, they wanted to commission a study. And they wanted to find out, and this was, this was like a non-Christian secular study. They wanted, to find, they wanted to do a study, and they wanted to prove and say, does a person who have hope, is that person better off than someone that doesn't have hope? What does hope do in somebody's life? So it was an extensive study. I read the journal, but it was an extensive study. It was over a two-year period of time. Thousands of people participated in it. I won't read all the attributes, but, but here's what they found. They found when, when a person has hope in their life, it relieves stress. The opposite can be true. When you don't have hope, guess what? You're going to have more stress. Hope helps us. What they found helps us to see the finish line. When you don't have hope, you don't think there is a finish line. It's just, you know what? This is permanence in my life. I am never getting out of this. Hope helps us, what they said, see a better future. When you don't have hope, you do not understand how tomorrow can be any better than today. And next month isn't going to be any better than this month. And then hope, what they said, helps us to adapt and be flexible. When some, listen, when someone doesn't have hope, they become rigid and critical and inflexible in their life and how they live life. Help, hope, what they said, helps us to be optimistic. And when we don't have hope, we become very pessimistic. We become pessimistic about today and tomorrow. So the third and the last thing, when God rebuilds hope in your life, is just simply this. God reveals himself through his word. God reveals himself God reveals himself through, through his, his word. And so, so God not only uses circumstances, but he also uses his word. Because God would never, listen, regardless of your circumstance, God would never call you to do something that is against his word. And those go together. I'm reminded of the story about this man. He was like addicted to donuts. And his doctor was trying to get him to quit. His wife is trying to get him to quit. Finally, he comes home one evening. He tells his wife, honey, I've, I've decided I'm giving up donuts. I'm no longer stopping by the bakery ever again. And she was, you know, she was shocked, but she says, great, I'm praying for you. Next day, he shows up from work. He has a dozen donuts. And she says, well, I thought you were giving up donuts. And he goes, well, you're not going to believe this. He says, I was leaving the office, and I got a prompting. I got this nudge, I think, from the Lord that I need donuts. And so I said, Lord, if it's you then I'm going to go down to the bakery, and if, there's a, there's a, and if there's an open parking space on the front row, I'm going to stop and get donuts. I know it's you. And he said, honey, you're not going to believe this. I drove down to the bakery. I had to drive around the bakery like 10 times before a place opened up. <laughs> and I think it's from God. And so listen, it's not just circumstances, right? It's circumstances and his word. And so here's what he said, Jesus, verse 25. So he said to him, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? See, we have a misunderstanding. We think suffering in the Christian life is like something is up. Something is wrong. Sometimes it's part of his plan. 
and enter into his glory. Then verse 27, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. They came near to the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. And so Jesus wasn't like messing with them. Am I going to go? I'm going to stay. Jesus was doing the same thing with them that he wants to do with us. He wants you to invite him in. He wants you to invite him into your struggle. He wants you to invite him into your life. He wants you to invite him into your circumstances. He wants you to drop the boxes and invite him in. Door number one, and, and, and there are a lot of people in this mode right now, right? Door number one, do I continue with Jesus? Do I continue to trust with everything that's going on? Continue to worship. Continue to pray. Continue to serve. Continue to follow him. Or door number two, do I just walk away? Verse 29, he goes on and he says, but they, they urged him, stay with us. Because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And so they not only opened up the scriptures to him, they opened up their home to him. I mean, their destination was Emmaus. You can still go to this home today. It's still there. And you can see the home that they invited Jesus into, Cleopas and his buddy. In their culture, same in ours, right? If you invite someone into your home, they're the guest, you're the host. You're in charge, right? That's how it works. That's how it works. We don't, someone doesn't invite us over for dinner and all of a sudden we're, we're, you know, we're in charge and we start serving them or we start moving furniture around or something like that. Right? We're the guest. Verse 30. It was as he, speaking of Jesus, reclined at the table with them that he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. Jesus was the guest in the home, but he takes charge. You know what this tells me? Jesus does not want to be a guest in your home. He wants to take charge. He just wants to come in and take charge. He wants a personal relationship with you. He wants to lead you. He wants to guide you. Verse, verse 31, then their eyes were open and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. And so theologians sometimes argue about something that none of, some things that none of us care about, right? And so theologians through the years have argued about, well, when did they recognize him? Why did they recognize him? Some would say, well, it was because of the way Jesus prayed. It's how he bowed his head. It's how he prayed. Some would say, well, it's how he, he, he broke the bread and blessed it. So this isn't communion. He's just serving a meal. And some would say it was that. It reminded them to the upper room and some other things. I don't, I don't think it was either one of those. And this is my personal opinion. You can disagree. That's fine. I think Jesus took the bread. He blessed it broke it, and then when he handed the bread across the table, all of a sudden ex exposed the fresh scabs of the nail prints. And all of a sudden, I'm telling you, this is when everything shifts for me and is when it shifts for you. When you're willing to move your focus from the road to the Redeemer, from the road of your struggle, the road of your problems, the road of whatever is distracting you, and say, so, you know what? I'm going to focus on the Redeemer. Verse, thir verse, verse 32. So they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us when he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? And that very hour they got up, they returned to Jerusalem. This is crazy. They walked the Emmaus Road at night now. Nobody did that. No, you, you're talking with two men with great faith now. You're talking about two men. Regardless of the dangers, regardless of what's going on, we got to get back to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those 
with them gathered together who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they begin to describe what had happened on the road. They have heard and seen, heard and experienced, and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. When you attend Fellowship of the Rockies, I don't want you just to hear great worship and an okay sermon. I want you to see him. I want him to reveal himself to you personally in your circumstance so you can see him in your circumstances and then through the word. He is our source of hope. He is our object of hope, not the road that he has us on, not the struggles that you're going through, not your circumstances, because if it's your circumstances, if it's a road, you will only have hope when things are going well. You trust in the present. You hope in the future. That's an entire sermon. You trust in the present, your steps of today, and you hope in the future. If you're here this morning, and you'd be honest with the Lord, because he's going to ask you what things. And you have, your focus is so much on the road, you can't even see that he's with you. My prayer is that you would move your focus from the road to the Redeemer. And you'd not only hear but you'd see it wouldn't be all head but heart. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?